Welcome. A very happy Easter to you. And it's wonderful to be together in this room celebrating this morning. I have a question for us to reflect on this morning. A simple question, a significant question, and we have work to do as we reflect on this question. Immanuel Kant, an 18th century philosopher, a thinker among thinkers, a man who set the agenda for lots of Western inquiry and thought, said that there were three questions that answered all the interest of his reason. And he pursued those three questions in some rather dense philosophical writings. The third of his questions is ours for this morning. His first question was, what can I know? What can I know? That has been the project of much Western thought and of postmodernism in our day, which has gone to a narrower and narrower answer to that question. What can you know? Anything much? His second question was this, what should I do? What should I do? How do I behave? How do I make choices? How do I live ethically? How do I live wisely? And that question is explored by all of us in different ways, and it's been a major pro project of political correctness in our current culture, ways of thinking and behaving and answering to one another. It's the third question that I want us to reflect on today, and that is, what can I hope? For what can I hope in this world? That is a great question. I ask myself that question when I think about the church, uh, my family, our lives together. When I look into the eyes of children and youth in this church, when I walk with my own children in their journey, when I hold my grandchild, what can I hope for in their lives? When I think about all the stuff that's happening in our world, what can I hope for? What dare I hope for? When I reflect on some of the troubles of our world, some of the deep challenges and brooding problems, problems in, in the way people behave toward each other and problems in the environment itself and the climate and the world that we live in, what, what can I hope for? Is my hope narrowing in the same way that what I can know and what I should do seems to be in such turmoil? What can you hope for? What are you hoping for? For your own life, for your tomorrows, for the world around us? Well, this is a great question to reflect on on Easter Sunday morning, because today we celebrate an event in history that changed everything. As Alicia shared with us just a few moments ago, some women got up one morning and thought they were going about their everyday experiences only to discover that the Jesus whom they had loved and watched crucified just a, just a few hours before was now alive and teaching and forming his church to impact the world. This changes everything. An empty tomb, a risen Lord and Savior, a very present, loving Jesus who walks with us and will mentor us and will shape our lives into God's purposes. It changes everything. It changes everything, and it's in the light of that that I want to explore with you this morning. So what can we hope for? 
What, 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 what can you hope for in your life, in your family, in your business? What can you hope for in this world with all the stuff, you know, you read uh, and, 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 and get online and, and, and see stuff? Is your hope narrowing? No, it doesn't have to. There is great privilege for those who walk in Jesus Christ in this season. So let's think this morning, what can we hope for? Three things I'd like to explore with you. Let's look at our text. It's in 1 Peter. And Peter was one of the disciples who heard that Jesus wasn't in his tomb where he was supposed to be from the women who went that morning. There were a bunch of Marys. They're mixed up in the different Gospels. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary, the mother of James, and Mary Magdalene. And I can imagine them in their enthusiasm and excitement and overwhelming. I don't know. The Marys were there. Which ones? The Gospels account for different people because it was such an enthusiastic moment. Everybody was excited. In Luke's Gospel, we read that Peter broke away from the disciples and ran to the tomb to see what he could see. But over in John's Gospel, we read that Peter and the other disciple, who's always a reference to John himself, went And the other disciple ran faster than Peter, says John. Got there first, went inside, saw things. It was a moment that blew their minds. It was a moment that reframed their lives. And it can reframe your life as well. It was a moment that caused them to see everything differently. And so years and years and years later, Peter, with gray hair and a lot of life under his belt, writes these words. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive, and it changes everything. What can you hope for? What can you hope for today? What can I hope for? Here's the first thing. Miracles. We can hope for signs of God's kingdom. We can hope for an inbreaking of God's resurrection power into the realities of our world and our life. Two things I want to say about miracles. First, do not question every miracle that you hear. Do not question every miracle story that you hear. The world in which we live will try to pre-program you in that way. You can hope for more than that. You can hope for more than just ordinary, everyday experiences. Here's the second thing I want to say about miracles. Do not believe every miracle story that you hear. You can expect miracles. And you should expect them to be about God and his glory and his kingdom. You should expect them to stir faith and to redirect our energies and our actions and our commitments and to serve God's big purposes in the way, in the world. Jorgen Moltmann has an interesting thing to say about Christian hope. He says that Christian hope is distinct in that it reaches forward. What Christian hope does is it draws God's future promises into our present experiences. Ordinary hope works the other way around. 
ordinary hope says, what do I know? Well, these are the facts. I studied hard for the test. I've passed the last two tests. I, I, I chatted with a friend who did this course last year, and my friend told me what I need to know, and I've really pushed into those issues. I have a good hope, a strong hope, that I'm going to pass this test. Ordinary hope looks at the facts and extrapolates. It projects. That's what you do. That's, that's what hope is. But Peter says that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. What an interesting word to put in front of the concept hope. What do you think is alive in the world? Well, people are alive, animals are alive, plants are alive. Is there anything else that's alive? Have you ever noticed that the gospel and the New Testament letters look at the world in a different way? It's almost enchanted when you read the gospels. Have you ever thought about this? Like John is writing about living water and living bread. And, and, and the, uh, Jesus speaks about, you know, the trees will clap and the stones will sing. And, and we keep reading through the Gospels and the Word, the Bible, lives. God's Spirit is a living presence in us. There is opened up for us a living way through the curtain into the holy presence of God. And we, the followers of Jesus, are living stones, says Peter in this letter that we've been studying together. That's a lot of life. That's a lot of uh, aliveness in the world. And we are called, as the followers of Jesus, to see the world in this new way. We are called to live with a living hope that doesn't just extrapolate from the facts in front of us. What, what Christian hope does is it, it goes forward to the future promises of God it takes hold of those promises and it pulls them, draws them into our present experience and lives out of that, that goodness of God. That's why you should expect miracles. In the Gospels, miracles occur and they're signs of God's kingdom. One of the unfortunate words that we have used, and it's, it's there in the text, but not the way we use it in our culture, is the word perform. People perform miracles. That's, that's an unfortunate picture because you applaud the performer, yeah? N not so with God's signs of his kingdom. What is Jesus doing? What are the disciples doing? What are we called to do? To lift the curtain on God's activity in the world. To stir up the presence of faith and trust and grace and glory, and spiritual presence, and expect God to do things. This is why we pray for healing. This is why we expect changed character. This is why we anticipate that a broken relationship can actually be healed. And what looks like an inevitable fracture of relationship can be set on a new course. We believe in the miracle presence and power of God because we don't hope in an ordinary way. We don't take the facts and extrapolate forward and say, well, that's all we've got. We, we move to the resurrection story and work backwards into our experience. We move to the new creation, new heaven, new earth story, and we work backwards into our world. And this means that you shouldn't believe every miracle story that you hear. Because frankly, there are people who are performing. Frankly, there are moments and experiences where it's more about 
Well, it's more about our brokenness than it is about God's healing. This is the, the path that we're called to follow. We're not crazy people. It's not like the New Testament writers, as they wrote about trees clapping and rocks singing and, and living water and living bread, also talked about unicorns and trolls and fairies. It's not that. It's not some enchanted universe that has no definition or is unreasonable. No, the hope that we are looking for is a hope that answers the interest of our reason. It's a hope that speaks into the reality of our world. And God doesn't do miracles to, to, to show. Herod once said, I want a miracle, Jesus. And Jesus said, not going to happen because I don't perform for audiences. If you're interested in transforming power, if you're interested in a humble approach to the living God, if you're interested in living hope that walks off the map of what we know and takes hold of resurrection hope and brings it back into our world so that we, we behave differently, well, then, then we can expect great things. Here's the second thing we can expect as a people of living hope, people of the resurrection, people who walk in the light of this incredible story. We can expect answers. We can expect miracles that are signs of God's kingdom and evidence of his power and touch lives and draw us deeper into a love and, and compassionate walk with God. And we can also ex expect answers to the big problems, answers to the insoluble issues. There is so much in our culture at this moment that if you read it and study it deeply, you just want to go back to bed and pull the covers over your head. Like, I, how are we going to fix this? How is this, how is it possible to see solutions in these struggles? And so you either just ignore it, not, not, not going to think about that anymore and just carry on, or you get lost in it and can become very dark in your thinking, very negative in your approach. And I'm not just talking about something that is made up here. Many of our young adults are at risk because of this truth, the narrowing of hope in our world. For them, as they look forward with what they know and extrapolate on the basis of the facts that they have, really, what's the point? And we see the suicide rate among those who are young with most promise and potential in their lives rising, rising. Why is that? Because when hope narrows, everything gets dark. Now, the Christian community has a living hope. This is not ordinary hope. This is not look at the facts and extrapolate. This is go off the map of what we know and plug into the promises of God. Plug into the future promises of God. Trust God. Trust his love for you and his story of where the world is going. Plug into that and then come back and live your life here and now. Live your life with gusto. Live your life with commitment and engagement and live your life with a living hope. I read a book recently. It's a brilliant book. You all should read it. It's by Bill Gates. It's called How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. Bill Gates of Microsoft, technological inventor, so aware of the issues of poverty. He and Melinda have given their wealth to establish a foundation to address 
issues of poverty around the world. Amazing thinker, Bill Gates. Aware of global issues, global economy, global markets. And so he writes this fascinating book about climate change, about our environment, about uh, the, the, the hothouse gases that are such a plague to us and the problem that is unfolding. So if you're an amateur in this field like me, you'll enjoy this book because he, he, I think I understand more than I did before I read his book. And it is not a book that is full of doom and gloom. It is a book that is full of hope, ordinary hope. He reflects on how we might deal with this problem. And he talks about how big the problem is, how we need governments involved, how we need the private sector involved, how we need financing to achieve innovations and move out of this place. And he thinks there are possibilities, but he thinks it's very, very, very hard. Now, what should a Christian do about the environment? What should a Christian do about the climate issues of our day? Well, if we are a people with living hope, if we are a people who can walk off the map of what we know, take hold of God's promises, and plug that into our daily living, take hold of a story of resurrection, we can join this conversation with an incredible sense of, of promise. It doesn't mean that we bury our heads in the sand and say, well, let other people worry about that. God will save me in the end. That is not the Christian calling. No, no, no. We get science degrees. We get, we get economic degrees. We get marketplace. And we serve the deep needs of the world. What I love about Bill, Bill Gates' book is he's actually talking about how we might solve climate change and, and, and address the issues of the poor in the world at the same time. That's the kind of solution we need. And so what do Christians do? We join this journey, and we join it with living hope. Because you see, deep in my spirit, I believe that whatever the problem is with climate change, or the nuclear threat that our world faces, or the collapse of civility and love for each other in, in human circles, or whatever the problem might be that we look at and sink into, I believe, I believe that the resurrection power of the living God can and will touch those problems. And we are headed toward a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. We are headed toward God's victory, not a collapse in disaster. That's a living hope. And it's living because you live it. It's living because it's off the map. It's not ordinary hope, which just extrapolates from the facts. It, it's a kind of hope that plugs into what God has promised. And it changes the way you see things. It changes the way you behave changes the way you act. It ought to be a whole band of Christians who step up and begin to address the climate change problem. Not because we're the smartest people, but because we're the most hopeful. Because we're the ones that have a deep sense of working with God, not just working against nature. Working for the mission of God. And not just to fix the problem for us, but to fix it for all people. To fix it in a way that there is less poverty, less hunger, less destitution in our world. What can you hope for? When you look into the eyes of your family and when you look into the future, you can hope for miracles. You can actually hope for answers to the insoluble problems of life, and you can hope for peace. You can hope for peace, deep peace, 
in your life, in the lives of those that you influence and that you network with in your family, peace now and peace into eternity. Deep peace. The Hebrews call it shalom. And greet each other each week. Shabbat shalom. It's time for a Saturday rest and a celebration of eternal, deep, awesome peace. What a beautiful way to live. What a beautiful way to live. Let's draw that hope into our everyday experience. What can you hope for? You can hope for an inward stability that lets you read the worst of the media and be okay. That's awesome. Because the worst of the media is pretty bad. And you can get lost. I mean, you can get so lost. You can just start to feel like this is ridiculous. And you can start to feel, I need to fight. And you can start to feel, I need to give up. But oh, how about a people who are operating out of a deep peace and knowing that there is peace for others and knowing that there is peace into forever. This is what Jesus died for and what his resurrection calls us to. And you and I can have this. Peter says that we are shielded by God's power. We don't need to worry about insoluble problems. We are shielded by God's power, Peter says. And we have an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Now, let me give you some good news. This may be a corrective to your thinking. I'm not sure. But you don't have to die to get that inheritance. A lot of people think that there's an inheritance in heaven for them, tucked away, and they don't get it till they die. That's not quite the way the text is set up. You and I are inheritors. It's Jesus' wealth. He died. We already have access to the inheritance. It's just being kept where none of the world's insoluble problems, where none of the world's loss of peace, or none of the things that might disturb would ever cause it to fade or to spoil or to rust or to decay. You have an inheritance, so you should draw on it. You have a wealth of love. You have a source of peace. You have, you have a fountain of mercy. You have, you have the resources for justice. You have the grace of Jesus Christ. It's a quite a different idea to think, I've got an inheritance in heaven, and when I die, I'm going to go there and live with the gold and the diamonds of forever and ever. Well, good, but it's much better than that. It's much better than that. You have an inheritance that is yours, made real for you because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are the inheritor of this wealth because you are a child of God. And the death of Jesus has unlocked for us shalom. Our hope is no ordinary hope. It doesn't just extrapolate from what's in front of us. It rushes off the map of what we can know, takes hold of the future promises of God, pulls them into this present moment, and prepares the, the present to receive God's eternal future. That changes our behavior. That changes the way we respond. So to Kant, we have an answer this morning. Don't you love that name, Kant? Who could? He could very well. He thought very deeply. He was a very wise man. And he had three questions that answered all the interest of his reason. What can I know? What should I do? 
And what can I hope for? As an Easter people, we start with the last question and we work backward. And we are a people who live and serve on a different map from the people around us. Ours is a map of Easter hope, miracles, answers, and peace, M-A-P. That's your map. That's your map. And that map, empowered by Easter hope, it answers the interest of our reason, of our hearts, of our longings, of our lives. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And this changes everything. What can you hope for? Oh, so much. What can you hope for? Life and life eternal. What can you hope for right now as you pray for your children? Right now as you pray for your marriage. Right now as you pray for the people in your street, as you pray for Australia, as you pray for our culture. Well, you can expect miracles. And you can expect answers to the insoluble questions of our world. And you can expect peace, deep peace, in you, around you, now and forever. This is the gospel. Let us pray together. God, we are so overwhelmed. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, we are blessed. And our whole lives are upended and our worlds are changed and our possibilities are widened beyond measure because Jesus is alive. Lord, let us take that truth deeply into our souls and live its possibilities in new and profound and refreshing ways. Let us receive your life and be people who live in life-giving ways to those around us. Let us, O oh Lord, experience not ordinary hope, but new hope, living hope, your eternal hope, as today we meditate on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as tomorrow we live its promise and hope, and as every day we walk as your disciples. Lord, lead us on your map, we pray, to the glory of Jesus. Amen.